Hello and welcome to episode 459 of Fergon the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? Going very well, Andrew. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That's um, good. I, I do want to issue an apology to the listeners. Mm-hmm. We did kind of commit to doing a World Cup preview and... Uh, Life got in the way, and that didn't happen. So, you know, sorry about that, people. But we'll give you one. I reckon Australia might win by 20. Yeah, I think that they'll be too good for Samoa. Um, We'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) What did you think of the World Cup final? Um, I think Samoa put up a a very good showing. I was worried that this was going to be a lot more lopsided than it was, Mm. only because... um, Samoa's spine was essentially their weak point. Um, and not all of their spine, just the Milford part of the spine. <laughs> Milford part, I was going to say. <laughs> Man, he sucks. Um, but, yeah, I look, the upside is I have a huge amount of respect for Jerome Lua because he was basically playing 5-8 halfback and hooker for most yeah. of that game. yeah. Um, that's too much to ask of any human, no matter how fucking unbelievable they are. Um, but he deserves a lot of credit for what he tried to do in that game for um, Samoa's attack. Uh, the other thing I felt felt kind of weird about was <clears throat> the Samoa's pack was always going to be able to match it with Australia's. Mm-hmm. I just thought that would have been good to have um, Josh Papali out on the edges. Yeah. And just running at a smaller guy instead of having all of their really good forwards in the middle bashing it into other big forwards. I would have liked to have seen them put one of those guys just on the edge and try and isolate, you know, get them one-on-one with a smaller defender. I think that would have been the only little change you would have needed to make to cause Australia a few headaches. Yeah, I, I also think he played too many minutes. He um, did, he did. You know, and, and that comes down to the coach. Like, there's only so much players can do. Coach has an impact in that area. Um but yeah, they look. They did well. Um, they did, you know, much better than many other teams have against Australia, and they did it in the World Cup final, which was great to see. I, I agree with you. I thought Jerome Luai was absolutely unbelievable. I think he was throughout the entire tournament, even from the first game. I know people gave him shit. It was really weird. It felt like there were a lot of people were looking at the results, and then in the entire World Cup, <clears throat> looking at the results. And then seeing what people were saying on social media and then just pretending that they'd watch the games because I saw people were critical of Latrell Mitchell in the final. And Latrell Mitchell had an awesome battle with Stephen Crichton. And at times Latrell Mitchell started doing some Latrell Mitchell shit, which was scary whenever he starts doing that stuff. Yeah. And yet you go online and people say, oh, Latrell Mitchell, blah, blah, blah. They did the same thing with Nathan Cleary. They were saying, oh, he's probably the worst of the players on the field. And it's like he he actually looked like the only playmaker for Australia that was playing a settled game of actual tactical football. Everyone else is running around with their heads like a a chicken with its head cut off. And I don't know, it just seemed like there were a lot of people who were reacting to games they hadn't watched because things that were being said weren't lining up to what you actually saw out in the football field. I wonder how much of that comes down to people watching highlights mm. based on the, let's be honest, largely poor English commentary that went on. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I, so. I found the commentator, the English commentators, were mostly talking about players that they see on a regular basis in England more often yeah. than not. And it was it was bad. Well, look, it's fine if if you're in England and you're watching it because they're giving its local relevant content, you know. But, uh, you know, that's the only commentary we got for the whole World Cup, so it didn't work if you didn't live in England. Um, yeah. It was kind of weird when, like, there was a question asked of, I, I look, I can't remember who it was asked of, but they were talking about, like, players like um, Kick, I think it was Kickow and... Uh, and players, there was some other player that were talking about, and they were saying, oh, you know, they were actually really good. And it's like, do you realise the players you're talking about are, like, some of the best players in the world? Like, like it, it was it was shocking to see how many of the commentators they used obviously didn't know most of the elite players they were watching. Yes. Yeah, they are talking about them like, wow, this bloke might be able to get out of championship. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. But kick out, bloke. He might be able to play for Huddersfield one day. He seems like a really good player, doesn't he? Like, um, and, and I, I found that very strange. I found yeah. that very, very strange. Um, but you know, would it make the top one hundred things of the weirdest stuff we saw at the World Cup? Probably not. No, but uh, it wasn't. Um... It wasn't one of the greatest World Cups, despite what the the, uh, the media will tell us. I think it might be, in in terms of the World Cups I've watched from start to finish, I think it's the second worst one since 2000. Yeah. And, and, and comfortably, like, I think then there's a big gap to the rest of the World Cups I've watched. It's, I don't know. I find that the one good thing that that came from it is that most of the I think was it most of all the games were on the BBC. Mm-hmm. That's going to be good for English rugby league, but it's only going to be good if the RFL and, and Super League have the nous to capitalise on it, and that remains to be seen. Yeah, if they can't make anything of that, we've got to stop taking World Cups. There, simple as that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, we're going to rate certain parts of the World Cup out of 10, and then we're going to rate the teams that were in the World Cup out of 10. Yep. Um, now, I've been thinking about what will rate the World Cup in the different categories. So, first of all, um, what would you rate the World Cup out of 10 in terms of competitiveness? Uh, I'll be generous, okay? Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah, I would give it a two. I think we saw, what would it have been? I think maybe four games that were competitive. Um, the semifinals were competitive. They weren't the best games, but they were competitive. Uh, I think the best game of the World Cup was probably the semifinal between England and Samoa. Uh, but, yeah, it was largely an uncompetitive World Cup, unfortunately. There was only eight games in the whole World Cup that were decided by less than 20 points. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say six points or something. That's outrageous. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Uh, now, what would you rate out of 10 
the spread of games for the World Cup in terms of taking the games to Great Britain? Oh, um, six. Six. Maybe six. Old Raider, one. They went to... They went to Coventry. Mm-hmm. They went uh-huh. to for one game. They went to London for one game. Yeah, Middlesbrough for a game, which is Northern England. Yeah. Um, Newcastle. Actually, you, you know Northern what? England. Bolton. You know, what? I'll change it. I'm changing it down to about three. That they, they didn't go to Ireland. I've only just looked at the list to see where they played the games and went. Yeah, okay. it's still all along. Was it the M62? Yeah. 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 I went. Yeah, that's they've not done enough. Yeah, they didn't go to Ireland, Wales, Scotland. They took one. They took two games to the south. And when I say south, I mean like they didn't even go to Birmingham. Uh, they like I thought it was a disgrace. So they kept on calling it the most inclusive World Cup of all time, and then didn't include most of Great Britain. I thought that was pretty funny. It was, um, and I wonder if that was intentional because. Even by playing in Heartlands, they still drew some very average crowds. Which brings me to my next point. In terms of the venues, what would you rate the venues they used out of 10? For the international stage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll, go with, I'll go with five. Really? There, there's, a, there's a few in there that are good enough for the lower-level games. Yep. Like, I think um, Wigan... Leeds, uh, St Helens, Grounds. Um, yeah, they're pretty good for those lower-level games. Even even Hull's Ground's not too bad. Um, yeah, Hull's got a good ground. But And Lee's, Lee's okay, I guess, for one of those lower-level games. I think they played a few games there. But uh, they needed to be playing more of the finals in those 30K-plus stadiums. I think they played it. Their their first game at Huddersfield, where rugby league was born, was one of the finals, and it didn't even get nine thousand people. I think that the size of the venues weren't too bad that they selected. I think the venues, however, were were they ranged from being um, embarrassing to dangerous. Um, it was funny. I I said how Old Trafford is a dangerous venue. Um, when you consider that if you slide over the sideline, you are then met with um, bricks that fall off about four feet into a trench. And then the end goals, half of the end goal is turf, which then falls off into a trench immediately at the dead ball line. And then um, you hit the, the metal signage. Yeah. And I had to explain to somebody that that was dangerous, and they said, well, it's not dangerous because the grand final's been there and no one's been injured, at which point I was out in the conversation because, you know, so it was obviously dangerous. I think too many dangerous venues. We played on one ground twice that had artificial turf the whole ground, which I don't know why you would have problem growing grass in England, but apparently in this place they did. Um Small some of the venues you wouldn't play local A grade at, and so I I would say that it's a three, and the three points they get is just because I think the size of the stadiums they selected overall wasn't bad. Which brings me to our next point. 
what would you rate the crowds out of 10? One. Yeah. I, I thought that was terrible. So two, three, four, five, seven. Seven of the 24 group games had over had crowds over 10,000. That was it. 17 of them were under. Yeah. That's actually 17 of them were under 9,000, you know. And there were crowds there that were three and four thousand. And they the biggest they, rugby league tournament in the game, and we couldn't even get four thousand people to watch Fiji play Italy in Newcastle. Yeah. One of the first ever test matches between Australia and England in nineteen oh eight was played in Newcastle. We yeah. can't get a bigger test. Yeah, come on. And, and the thing was too that uh, after that first week when the crowds were disastrous outside of that England opener it was pretty clear that they started doing something with the crowd numbers and, but there's only so much you can bullshit crowd numbers, you know? Um, so yeah, even accounting for that, the crowd numbers, and it's not the English fans, the prices were outrageous. Um, it's just the crowd numbers were just absolutely abysmal. And when you consider where they played the games, um, they took, basically no chances and still couldn't get anyone to the World Cup. I, I thought it was I thought it was really bad. Yeah, it was there's there's nothing to be writing home about there. Now out of ten mem- how how memorable was this World Cup? Which World Cup? This World Cup we've just had <laughs> um Look, it's going to be memorable for too many of the wrong reasons. Yeah. Team score in 90s and 80s, mm-hmm. 70s. That's just not supposed to happen. Um, that's one of the main reasons it'll be remembered. One of, the, I think, the best reason it will be remembered is Samoa getting to the final. Mm-hmm. That is the only real genuine shining light of this whole tournament is Samoa making it to the final. So what would you rate it out of 10 in, in terms of being memorable? Samoa's doing all the heavy lifting here, but I'm going with four. I'm going two for the same fact, Samoa making the final. But in ter- it, I mean, it's not even the worst World Cup that I've seen. So it's not even like it'll be a, a point of where it'll be like, oh, it wasn't 2000, you know. So it's it's like a bad one, but not even the worst one. So you can't even point to that. Yeah. Now, the final itself, what would you rate the final itself out of 10? Um, uh, maybe six. It, it wasn't, it wasn't atrocious. I thought um, it was pretty bad. To be it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Um, like, you know, England could have been there. <laughs> um, That's bias, Andrew. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think what, what Samoa had gone through, where they come from to get there, I'm pretty impressed with what they managed to do. Again, they're doing all the heavy lifting here, so... Um, yeah, I'm, I think six. I'll be fair. I, I thought it was a four. I thought Australia didn't play all that great. I thought Samoa played pretty well considering. 
Um, but it's not one of those games I think I'll be going back to watch. Oh, no, that won't happen. Um, in terms of organisation of the World Cup, just an overall thing, not focus, just an overall what you thought of the organisation of the World Cup out of town. Um, given the amount of time they had to organise it, mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I think I'm that's really, really, that's I, can't, right. I can't stress this, I'm really unimpressed with what they managed to turn out. Yeah, it was shit. Um, so an extra year to get this thing organised. All that time to figure out where to put venues and promote it, all that sort of stuff. And I don't know. It it just seemed like it, it dragged on at one stage. Yeah. Hard um, to watch. It was. It became a bit of a chore. You know what else is really, really stupid? Mm-hmm. Is that for the majority of the World Cup, which was which worked out okay, is most of the games in Australia were on at either around midnight or 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. But when the final came around, between two Southern Hemisphere teams, they put it on at 3 a.m. for the Southern Hemisphere sides. Yeah. What the fuck that is that weird. about? Yeah. Very strange, wasn't it? And, and, man, I'm still trying to get over that. That last game killed me in terms of my sleeping patterns for some reason. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of you look at, as you say, the extra time they had, the venues were poorly selected. Um, the whole thing of, you know, doing all the national anthems and stuff, and then we stand around so we can listen to some asshole on a loudspeaker telling us to be inclusive, which, yeah, you know, I don't need that. Um, mind you, that's been going on in England and English-based sports for the last two or three years. They still do that at the start of the F1. Where it's, fuck, it's fucking ridiculous. Before the anthem start, they go down and they do their, like some of them will, will take a knee and some of them will stand up. Yeah. But it's all to be against racism and stuff like that. I, I don't mind it, but I don't see why it needs to be done um, before every game. Like, I fucking hate it. I hate it when a sporting organisation wants to tut tut the fans, you know, and say, no. make sure you're inclusive. It's like, I don't need you to tell me to be inclusive. Fuck wit. Just <laughs> kick the game off, you know. I'm I mean, going to watch a game of footy. Sport's a good vehicle for this sort of stuff because it is inclusive by, by design um, and by nature. So I can understand why they want to do it, but I think if you're doing it before every race, every game – all year, every year, it stops being, it stops having the impact it's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with it. You don't want something like that to lose its impact because then it's pointless. Yeah, I just, I just. But you do it at the start of the year. Mm. Have have some big ceremony at the start of the year. Get everyone together. Have like some season launch thing. Do it then, yeah. and then, like the way the Super League could do it. Have Magic Weekend for round one. All the teams are there. Boom. Get them all on the ground. Do it all then. Do your national anthems. Well, they've only got one to do there anyway. And you've done it for the year. And boom. And that would be the... I think that would have more impact. That'd be a way to do it. And then you can just get into just playing footy all the time after that. And I think that's something that they could have done at the... Uh, you know, they could have had like an opening ceremony thing that went for like half an hour to start with for the whole World Cup. And they could have all come out and done that then. And it would have had a, would have had a better impact. Because it's just, just at the very beginning, you remember it at the very start, it's mm. done. But if you're getting there being constantly slapped in the face to it, you start to ignore it mentally. 
you know, either doing that thing. I'll go make myself a cup of coffee. I'll go and have a take a piss or whatever. And when people start taking it, start looking at it that way as though it's something that's just wasting time, it's lost its impact. It's no longer purposeful. And that's what they've done to it. They've devalued the the whole purpose of it so much that people see it as an opportunity to go do something before the footy starts. Hmm. It's a hindrance now. It's not actually having the impact it's supposed to. And that's why doing it all the time is stupid. So, But I don't mind them doing it once at the start of the year. Bang, it has its impact. It's done. We move on. But, yeah, every game, it's it's nonsense. It's, over, it's overdone. See, the way I look at it, it's like we've literally – we're not playing football because this bullshit is going on. And, like, as I said, I don't need to be told to be fucking – inclusive it's like i'm from out druid if i wasn't inclusive you'd have to be the most miserable cunt on the planet you know if you lived in mount druid and you weren't inclusive but uh it like so all of the players are standing around waiting for this idiot to finish his spiel which is reading off a piece of paper and i just don't think that there's a single intolerant person in the world that is sitting there going yeah you know what I need to change my ways. I've never thought about it until this asshole on the loudspeaker said his bit. I just think it doesn't work. I just think it's a lot of virtue signaling shit. And it, it just, I don't know, I just think it's just corporate crap. It largely is. Yeah. It largely is. Um, so overall, we didn't really rate this World Cup highly, did we? No. And that's okay, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, I think everyone wants to, they want to rate these things highly mm. because it feels like that's the right thing to do. But, uh, you know, we, we're always honest. Yeah. Like if, and, if it's uh, crap, it's crap. There's not much to write home about here. I don't think, uh, <coughs> sorry. I think with every time you have a world cup, we should feel like the game has got better than the last one. Mm. And it doesn't feel like it's been going forward for a while. Yeah. Um, the only thing that has noticeably gone forward is the strength of the Pacific Islands. That's yeah, and that, that was already happening, though. We saw Papua New Guinea, um, Tonga, Samoa, uh, Fiji, um, all being the top sides in this competition. The Cook Islands, for their size performing way, way above expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they might have copped a few hidings, you've got to remember, they are the tiniest nation in, in the rugby league world. And for them to be in the World Cup's impressive. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, I, I think it's important to be honest about where rugby league is because if you're not honest, you can't improve. And I I think that this World Cup was a a really big failure on many different levels. Um, I I hope that they change the format. I hope that they think about how many teams qualify and where they qualify from. Um, Because if you just look at the World Cup as a vehicle to find out who the best team in the world is, Australia played two, two games that were, you know, that they had to try in, and I don't think that's what you want out of a World Cup. Um, it was a chore. It, it ended up being a real chore to watch it, and I watched all but one game, and there were just so many games that were just non-events. 
um, as a vehicle to promote the game to a wider audience. You know, I think a lot of the the lopsided score lines we saw on show, it's not good for that. No. And I I just I just think it was a really big failure this World Cup. Unfortunately, um, I wish it wasn't. I wish it was an outstanding success, but when it wasn't, I, I'm not. I'm like you. I'm not going to lie about it. You know, there's plenty of people that'll cheerlead it and say it was amazing for all these different reasons, but there wasn't much you could get out of this World Cup. I didn't think. No, it was. I think the thing that makes it worse is the fact they did have so much time to get it promoted and organised mm. to be better. Yeah. And it just feels like every other World Cup that's been in England. Yeah, just a forgettable, like, I don't know. And, and it, it, it very much felt like a World Cup that was for England rather than for anyone else as well, I felt. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's... It, it did feel like we were uh, uh, trying to help grow the game in England, which is the weirdest sounding thing I could ever hear myself say. Yeah. Um, as I said, it's only going to be seen as, as a success if it helps improve the sponsorship, the money, and the crowds and the game overall in England. And that remains to be seen because that comes down to how their game's managed over there. Yeah, and, and it's it's up to them, you know. And it, but it always has been. It, they 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 keep looking for the magic bullet. They keep yeah. looking for the the fairy dust that's going to be sprinkled over everything, and it's just going to magically work out. And they don't build anything. They don't work towards anything. They keep dishing up the same product that is actually getting worse, and then wondering why you know, the rest of Britain isn't jumping on the rugby league bandwagon. It's because they're not giving them anything to really want to. That's right. It's, I, I mean, we've spoken many times before about what they need to do in order to fix the game in England. And it re, basically it always requires a massive overhaul and they lack the balls to try it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. They don't want to do it because they're scared that it, I don't know, might work. <laughs> you know I mean, what? That's possible, hey? How, how could it not work? What's the alternative? Failure is not even an alternative because failure is what they're currently doing. Exactly. I, I wonder if it's a little bit like you. Remember how NRL clubs for a long, long time didn't want to push um, members, the, the whole membership thing? Yeah. And and it was because board, football club boards knew that if they pushed for more members, then they were more likely to be voted out of their positions as a football club board. And so they kind of kept it under wraps, you know. They kept it to the hardcore people that, that gen, like, for the most part, supported them. And then when the NRL started saying, no, we've got to sell these memberships, they will... They really pushed against it. And even now, you can get a membership that doesn't give you any voting rights for many years, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a hangover of that. I wonder if it is a little bit of that in England where they don't want to expand the game. They don't want to push for expansion teams and things like that because 
eventually they would they will lose control of what they've got. Oh, of course it is. Mm. They don't want to do that. Yeah, it's sad. It is. It's very sad. Now, on to a little bit of a different topic. Um, the Penrith Panthers this week have been pushing for the reinstatement of the uh, prize money that the NRL used to give for winning the minor premiership and the premiership. And it wasn't much money. I think it was only $100,000. Yeah, that's it's fuck all. Yeah, and it, it's been $100,000 for like 18 years or something. Uh, yeah, I think I think when uh, <laughs> I think when South beat East in 1908, they might have been given about 10 pounds, and that was about it. <laughs> and went, Let's just keep with that and just add inflation to it. Yeah, just inflation. Yeah. And and so that that money was actually, I think it was cut like extremely low during COVID. Um, and the Penrith Panthers have come out and said, look, we think that it's time that in the future, the premiers and the minor premiers not only get that prize money reinstated, but maybe give them a, a, a better share of prize money that's more reflective of the efforts that they've put in during the season. Um, they haven't said they want it retrospective or anything. They've said for future champions and stuff. And at the same time, they've, they've said to the NRL that they um, would like the funding to go up for how much money they would get from hosting the World Club Challenge against St. Helens. Um, people in St. Helens didn't like that, hey? Are there people in St. Helens? There are people in St. Helens. Wow. Um, and, of course, they started whinging about, you know, Penrith doesn't want to play in the World Club Challenge and all that sort of shit. Um, and so I was on Twitter pointing out that the – well, the biggest draw card in St. Helens isn't St. Helens. It's actually Wigan. Well, this is true. This is true. All the biggest goes... crowds in St. Helens. Not Australia. Not St. Helens. Wigan. Wigan. I mean, they are. They are the uh, the crown jewel of English Rugby League. They are. They are. We can't shy away from that. I mean, that's an undeniable fact. Very true. Now... Um, I had to point out a few things about, like, teams during pre-season matches and trial games. And trial games aren't real football games. Let's make that clear. Trial games are to get some kilometres into your legs ahead of the season. You can't get what you need out of training. There's nothing that can substitute game, actual game time. And so that helps with fitness and things like that. During trial matches, teams use many different players. They use players from all sorts of different grades. See if some of your lower-grade players have made progress over the off-season, stuff like that. Well, the other but thing, one... too, is it also helps with, um, like, contact, the contact part of the game. Because the problem you get when you're doing opposed training sessions within your own team mm. is it's mostly just, um, you know, grab and hold. Yeah. You're not trying to push them down because obviously you don't want to injure your teammates. Yeah. Whereas when you get to do a trial match, you're not there. They're trying to hurt each other, but it's that next step up from opposed training. Like it is like it is like a game as far as defense is concerned. You are trying to get a person on their back, and so it takes the defensive side of it to the next level. And it's the first time they get to do proper, um, genuine opposed training for the off season. And I think that's the main thing a lot of teams are looking at is. 
it sort of helps harden the body a little bit after they've had a few months off. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing is too that the money that you get from those games as a club is different than how it is handled during the NRL season in terms of like all that money is basically yours. Yeah. You know? Or you might split it with the club you're playing against um, depending <laughs> on how it works out. There's no set like way that clubs handle that money. So there is a bit of money to be made during the preseason. Um, and with the Panthers looking that they will be playing St. Helens going into the first round of the season, they want to make sure that that fixture is worth it. And it's also tied into the current um, negotiations that are happening between the NRL and the clubs and the Players Association to get more money out of the NRL to go into clubs and to go into the salary cap. So it's all part of a, a much bigger um, picture that's going on right now and has not been talked about too much in the media, which is kind of strange. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good move by the Panthers to try and push both of those things, that World Club Challenge clubs do get more money um, out of the NRL for hosting that game and that future champions will get more money for winning it. And it makes you, like, question how much money should, say, the minor premiers and premiers get? Because if it was a million dollars, like, I feel like that's more reasonable. What do you um, think? It is. Look, it's... I think the NRL is a situation where they don't want to be throwing away... Well, I wouldn't say throwing away, but they don't want to be paying out too much money yeah. on the premiers. But at the same stage, what they're doing at the moment is nowhere near enough. Yeah. An idea I had a while ago was you give the players, every single player in the entire squad who played for that year, so if it was 22 players, then those 22 players all get a bonus mm. that is not counted in the salary cap for winning the premiership. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking about this too. Maybe they get, like the squad gets a bonus of a flat 10% on what their salary is. Um, so it's not, it's not like everyone gets, say, I don't know, say $100,000 each or something like that. It's actually a percentage of what they normally earn. Um, it, but then I started thinking that could be used by better run clubs as an incentive to sign players. Like, at well, least... Because it, it is consistent across the entire league, though. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it would be too much of an incentive. Um, like obviously, the big incentive is we need we want you to come to a better club. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the only reason why they don't pay much. And then when the money they do pay goes to the club and not to the players. But uh, they've got to do something because at the moment, hundred grand after all of that grind, it's not enough in this day and age. You can't buy one one rookie. Without a single NRL's experience for a hundred grand, like the minimum wage for a player at the moment is one hundred and seven thousand dollars a year. Yeah, it's a fair whack. Yeah, um, and they're planning on taking that up to one hundred and fifty. And you know, that's I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm just saying when one rookie, <laughs> one rookie, you you hire them, and you win the premiership, you're still out of pocket just for getting that one rookie there. You know, because 
he's 150 grand and you've only just won 100 for winning the premiership. It's not exactly much of a uh, draw card, is it? Not really. And look, got to do something better. And, and look, when you make a grand final, you do make money in terms of you normally sell merchandise and things like that in the week leading up to it. And, you know, you you, you sell your premiers, T-shirts and all that sort of stuff. So you do make a couple of million extra. I just wonder, like, what would be – like, say the NRL come out and said, where from now on we're giving five million bucks to the premiers each year. That would be outstanding for whoever wins the premiership. And, and like, any time I see a club um, getting extra funding like that, I think it's a good thing. But then it, it made me start thinking about the salary cap and, and club grants, and club grants are going to be so far beyond what the salary cap is with, when this deal gets done. I think they're going to be earning an, another $5 million bucks on top of what the salary cap is each club. It made me think that I think the grants should be tied in to junior development. Yeah. And I, I think that the more you do for junior development, and I mean actual junior development, not buying elite juniors, I think the more you do for junior development, the more you should get. And that would see clubs investing money back into junior development. And is it going to help clubs like, for instance, um, Penrith? I think it would help the West Tigers, for instance. Uh, I think it would help St. George to a certain extent. Clubs like that that do have big junior bases, yeah, it would favour them. What's the problem with that if they're spending money on their junior bases? Yeah, look, it's a hard one to do because if you give you give too much money to the club, um, then you run the risk, I guess, of that club being able to afford to, I suppose, pay pay for more things to make their team constantly better. Mm-hmm. They can keep buying the most elite coaching staff around the country just to stay on top of the game. Um. You know, all that sort of stuff. So you're making the best team stronger. If you give the money to the players, then, um, as you said, like that could be a carrot to make players go to the better team so they can get extra pay. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I was thinking maybe better ways to give them something instead of cash. What, like? That's the thing. I'm not too sure. Maybe they, the team that's the premier gets to design how they want their their draw for the next season to look from round one to round 26. And the rest of the draw has to be designed around that. Around them, yeah. That's interesting. You go, right, you pick where you want your home games, where you want your buys, when you want to go, and what countries you want to, you know, if you have to go to New Zealand, when mm-hmm. you want to do that or whether you don't want to. And that way they can pretty much give themselves the, let's call it, softest draw possible. Mm-hmm. That might be a way around it. And that's that's the only way to get a genuine advantage and a genuine reward the following season for winning the premiership. But it's not yeah. a financial one and it's not a certainty to make you get to the premiership, yeah, you know, get to the grand final again either. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I'm trying to think of other incentives you could build in, you know. It's because there's not too many. Like, one of the things about the NRL is that it is such a close competition yeah. and that you you don't want to ruin that balance. 
That's right. Maybe the NRL could invest that money instead of into the club or the players into the venue that they play their home games at. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. But then what happens if you, say, uh, say the Melbourne Storm win it? Like, how do you, what are you going to do there for them, you know? That's true. Well, for the Melbourne Storm, it could go into the junior development, given that there's, it got completely destroyed by the fine that they had. Yeah. And the NRL really imposed backwards. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> and look, that the Melbourne Storm are funnily enough the reason why I think maybe we should look at aligning the club grants to junior development because as you say when they got those fines they basically shut up shop on on the work they were doing there in Victoria themselves yeah. um, and I think that we can't have teams doing that we need to have all teams working on junior development um, and and I don't know what metric you would use to say this is junior development as opposed to you're buying the elite juniors. Um, you know, do you go by local juniors? Because if you do that, it's very skewed against the likes of Melbourne and the Sydney Roosters. Um, and, and you know, you don't want to skew it to the point where there's zero incentive for those teams, where they say, look, in a 100 years' time, we might be able to compete with the likes of a Penrith or a West Tigers or a Newcastle who put money into their juniors. But, for the, you know, for the next 100 years, we'll never get there. So why would we bother in the first place? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. There has to be an incentive. And so I don't know what metric you would use to say this part of, the sal- this part of your club grant is extra for the work you do. I don't mind the idea of money going into grassroots footy and, and junior development. I think that's a very, very good one because that's mm-hmm. a that's a, a short-term reward for a long-term gain. Yeah. I think that's a that's a, a good one to go to go on. And it doesn't have a negative impact on the game year by year. Mm-hmm. But it helps in, ensure that the game keeps getting stronger long term. Yeah, and unlike Look, people will say, oh, you're biased because of Penrith and all that. Every single club in the competition has Penrith Penrith Juniors in it, you know. Um, And even this year's Premiership winning team will lose Panthers Juniors to other clubs. So it's... And, hey, they're going to pick up a few West Tigers Juniors from the team to come last. Exactly, yeah. So, like, the big junior bases... They, they work for the entire game. And I just think there should be some incentive to say to all clubs, like, put the work in at the junior level so we all get more out of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how we we phrase the term local juniors, though, like you were mentioning before. Well, that's Because um, I think what the NRL were working on, geez, was less than a decade ago now was you didn't necessarily have to come through all the junior ranks, but you had to have been at the club starting at a certain age yeah. and having not left. So if, it might, if that age was like 15, <clears throat> you know, if you get a player come to your club at the age of 15 and they stay there for 10 years, so there for 10 years, 25, then you get a discount on them on the salary cap. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. Something similar could be put in place there, I think. Um, that See, way, but, the clubs that don't have the huge junior nurseries, mm. like 
like the teams like Penrith and West, the Dragons, Broncos, Knights, that sort of thing, um, they're not being left behind and they're not being felt unfairly treated by this because they can still get those young people and still put them in their system and look after them in there and, and get, you know, you have a fairly even keel sort of thing there. Um, but at the same time, you want to kind of, uh, I don't know, do you want to reward teams who are producing more juniors than others? I don't know. I don't know. It's a tricky one. See, the, the thing that, that I worry about it, and this is where the argument is, right? If it's, say, from 15 years onwards, then you just get clubs that will target the, four, the good 14-year-olds, bring them to, into their junior system, and then you're just rewarding teams that um, purchased the best 14-year-olds, you know? Whereas yeah. I, I, I wonder if it has to go on junior numbers, but then you get into a situation where, you know, you get and you start counting, how do you count junior numbers? And you look at it like, I mean, the AFL, they count junior numbers where anybody that does a school clinic is an AFL junior, which is clearly not what an AFL junior is. So if you look at the AFL junior numbers in Sydney, they're outrageously high because they send people out to do free clinics at, at schools, and the schools, of course, say yes. And, and so... I thought the way the AFL did it was they said to the kids, do you know these letters? And they show them the letters AFL, and they go, yep, they go, right, you're a junior. <laughs> it's, it's, seriously, it's not much different, right? <laughs> um, and, and so it's, you've got to be, you'd have to be really specific about what metric you used and whether it is just overall junior registration numbers or something like that. I don't know. But I think it has to uh, – my feeling is that the best way to do it is by actual junior participation rates rather than um, dis, rather than it being about your elite juniors. Because, they, look, every club has elite juniors, every single one. Except yes. <laughs> except for the West Tigers. But, I know, yeah. we've got them. They just get we, – we just don't keep them. I love I love elite junior West Tigers players. They play great for the Panthers. They play great for everyone because <laughs> the West Tigers never sign them. Yeah. Um, oh, he won't be good enough. Let him go. Uh, Pappenhausen. What type of stupid name is Pappenhausen anyway? <laughs> Let's get rid of him. Yeah, that won't work. He's got silly hair. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that I think that that's the way forward for the overall health of the game too. Yeah, I'm I'm open to that. I think we've solved that problem. Yeah, we should run the game, huh? Yeah, you know, we have been saying this for a while. Um, no one's what, argued with us. Yeah, it's it's weird when you and me talk on these podcasts together. No one comes in and interjects with a saying we're wrong, and that's no. what I like about this podcast. Yeah, everyone knows that we're just talking fact. Mm. Now, one of the things that came out last night was that England will participate in a um, revamped European Championship competition which is great to hear that uh, England will engage with Europe. Now, there's when it was announced, it was really weird to see some of the reactions of people on Twitter. They were very critical of it, and I, I'm not really sure why. Um, they basically said, well, we need to be playing Australia and New Zealand more. And I saw a few people point out that, no, we need to just be playing more international rugby league and we need to be doing something for Europe, which I agree with, you know. Yeah. 
Um, for too long, there's been a bit of a war between Europe and the rest, uh, sorry, England and the rest of the European teams. Yes. Um, and that needs to be broken down. They, they need to be playing European teams far more often. I just hope that they don't end up being the England Knights team, which is their B team. I hope it's a full England team that takes part in that competition. No, they will be the full England team. You know why? Why? Because they know if they keep playing regular tests more often than Australia, they will likely keep their test ranking above Australia. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. That would um, work. So they'll keep they'll keep putting out their best side. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, let's be honest. We, if anything, we learn from this World Cup, it's that the European nations are quite a step behind the Pacific Islands mm-hmm. and the Southern Hemisphere nations. So the teams that from Europe that aren't England need to move up to France's level and then they need to move up to England's level before they can be competitive with the Pacific Island level. Definitely, 100%. So England's got to start carrying that weight. They've got to start doing that work. They've got to start putting in in that area. Um, you know, Australia opened the doors up to the whole Pacific Islands in 1995 when they let the Auckland Warriors in. Mm-hmm. It opened up a lot of pathways out there on the uh, Pacific Islands. We had an absolute explosion of islanders coming into the rugby league, and that was what has ultimately led, you know, 20 years down the track to the Pacific Islands absolutely dominating rugby league globally. Um, It shouldn't take that long in England because there's so many players with NRL experience who can qualify for a lot of these European nations. Some of that work's already done. They need to start playing them more often. I want to see, I definitely want to see Lebanon, Greece playing a lot more, and Italy playing a lot more international football against top sides, not against one another, not against, um, you know, lesser nations, stuff like that. They need to be playing against World Cup teams that were at this World Cup. Mm-hmm. They can't, we can't have teams playing against one another at the same level all the time because all you're going to do is keep playing at that same level. They need to play against teams above themselves. And this has been a problem with France is that they've only been playing against England. They're not seeing football being played any differently. They're playing this. They're just playing, playing Super League in different jumpers. It's kind of the same frustrations we have in Australia, um, you know, five, ten years ago when our entire international calendar was basically Australia versus New Zealand every year. So mm-hmm. it's just the NRL, but different jumpers. You've got to mix it up. You've got to start playing these other countries. Um, one of the great things from this World Cup is we got to see Papua New Guinea bring a completely different brand of football to everybody else to the stage. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and like, I, one of the interesting things I saw during a week was, and it was leading into the World Cup final, a lot of people talking about state of origin, and I didn't understand it. I, I was like, why are people talking about state of origin? It has nothing to do with the World Cup. And then after the World Cup, I saw people once again attacking State of Origin, which I, I don't understand. We've talked about it a million times on this podcast. Um, and, and I even saw somebody wrote an article saying that State of Origin is probably under threat because of the success that Samoa had, which, spoiler alert, State of Origin is going to be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know what? No, it's not. But even if it is... I don't really care. If international football improves because of what the Pacific Islands are doing, that's a fine substitute for me. But it's not going to be under threat. Yeah, and it, it, it was just very strange. I think a lot of it's driven by jealousy, and I don't know why you would be jealous of a football series. It's 
kind of because weird. It's, because it's not in Britain. It, well, there is that. Um, and, and <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> I saw I saw so many people. Not so many. There was only a few, but they're very vocal talking about how State of Origin does nothing for rugby league. And I had to explain how much money it generates, how many people watch it. Like I saw somebody say, well, State of Origin doesn't do anything to um, to expand rugby league. And it's like we, we, we play New South Wales versus Queensland in Perth and in, in Adelaide and like Melbourne. Like, do you know how crazy that is? And we sell 60,000 tickets to it. Like, yeah. if you don't think that this isn't helping rugby league, you're insane. Think of and the that... money it generates and where that money is spent again. Mm-hmm. Here's a tip. It's not being kept in coffers. There's a reason why the NRL has been at the elite level globally for, what, 40 years. Because yeah. they keep investing the money back into the game, and the more money it makes, the more it invests back in. It's a forever growing cycle. Exactly. And, and like it makes them three games make so much money that you could look at the the elite plays from the World Cup and literally say there's a, a good portion of what they earn every year comes directly from what State of Origin generates for the game. Like it's hundreds of millions of dollars that it makes for the game. And I don't think people understood that. No. And... But there was a lot of talk about eligibility and the status of Samoa as a, a Tier 2 nation and, you know, people saying, well, if they're a Tier 1 t- nation now, then all their players are going to have to pick and choose where they play. And it's like the tier, the tiers of the nations aren't just on your performance. There's a lot of um, off-the-field stuff that it goes by as well which I, I don't think that was put across very well in the media. And just a lot of angst and anger and stuff was generated in a discussion that I just think didn't need to be there. It was very strange to me. Yeah, it's, there's this weird idea that goes around that the International Rugby League runs State of Origin. I think, mm. that's, I think that's what people think. The NRL runs State of Origin. And while it would be good that State of Origin had, you know, the rule that was you had to be born in the state to play for it, there's something simple that has no ambiguity whatsoever. Just a clear-cut rule, bam, you had to be born here to play here, or you had to be playing your first rep footy at the age of whatever. Mm. That's the state you play for. It's just keep it simple. Yeah. But if players <clears> – <throat> I'm not opposed to the idea – of players being allowed to represent at origin level and playing for a country other than Australia. Origin shouldn't be some sort of determining factor that denies you a right to play for a different country. But at the same time, I don't mind if origin is is specifically only for Australian, um, Australian-based players who can only represent Australia. Because origin, it's not... It's not relevant to International Rugby League. Mm. It's purely a marketing thing. The NRL can change the rules of eligibility any way they want because it's their design. They've created. If they want to, they could have done this at any point in time. They could have just said, you know, it's where you played your junior footy at the age of 15, the first place you represented. You go, fuck, Benji Marshall plays for Queensland. Yeah, we've had that before. 
Yeah. You know? would, would that have been a bad thing? Fuck no. Origin would have been awesome. But you know what? It was still awesome anyway. It's not going to change much on the origin scheme of things. And it's certainly not going to change international football. Benji Marshall would have been happy playing for Queensland. But the main thing he always wanted to do was, obviously, play for New Zealand. Yeah. And it wasn't... So long as doing one doesn't deny you from doing the other, then there's no reason why the rules for origin can't change. They're more fluid than what international eligibility should be. I I think, though, that my personal preference is that if you make yourself available for New South Wales or Queensland, you've also chosen to play for Australia, right? Yeah. Um, That's my preference. And I've also said that if it was up to me, the state of origin eligibility rules would be where were you born, New South Wales or Queensland, that's your state. Oh, you moved when you were two? Guess what? That's your state. Yep. It's the rule, <laughs> hard and fast rule. Um, but, you know, in an ideal world, Origin is successful. International Rugby League is successful. It, the ideal, repre- ideally, you would have representative weeks where, you know, you play maybe on the Sunday, you're playing like, New Zealand, Tonga, Fiji, PNG, all of those teams. And then on the Wednesday following that, then you've got State of Origin. Like, that is just, to me, the dream. Um, I don't understand why people think there needs to be one needs to die for the other to succeed. Oh, and no, it's, it's it mad. makes no sense. So that's the one thing we've got out of this World Cup is um, there's going to be a lot more eyes on the international, on the rep calendar coming mm-hmm. up. Because mm-hmm. we'll have all those Pacific Islands playing here. They all did pretty well in the in the World Cup, as well as Origin. It's going to be pretty good. Um, what have England got out of it? Well, look, if the only thing they've got out of it is that they've decided to engage with Europe again, that's a good thing. That's a brilliant thing. Mm. But it needs to be something that they do far more regularly than just a one-off thing. And what they need to do is say, right, we need to make sure that this is broadcast on BBC. Yeah. yeah. Um, try and get the internationals on the BBC as a bare minimum. Surely the BBC can do that. And if they can do that, then it's a start. They need to get the game back on mainstream free-to-air TV over there. That's an absolute must. Definitely. I think the other thing that the World Cup taught us was that as good as the Australian team is and they're world champions, they won the World Cup, um, when you don't play games for a number of years, it is going to have an effect. You know, the Australian team did look clunky. And I think that they there definitely needs to be a look at um, how Australia builds its international calendar, who it decides to play against. And I think we need to think about what we want out of the Australian team in terms of do we pick, do we look at it as being we just pick every year the best players, which for the most part you can say, well, that's probably the way to do it. Or do you build towards each World Cup instead where you where you where you look at, say, the current side and you'd say, well, look, it's probably going to be Nathan Cleary as the the halfback at the next World Cup, unless someone comes along that's better than him. Um, someone like an Isaiah Yo is probably going to be there, 
a Pat Carrigan, who was fantastic in the World Cup, absolutely amazing. He's probably going to be there. Do you build around that core going forward and then hope that core doesn't fall, fall away? Or do you just pick it like, we throw them all together, throw them together, throw them together? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, it does, it does. I think what they need to do, though, is... Um, yeah, try and try and I think build a squad that they're, they're working towards the next World Cup. I think we need to start seeing the World Cup as the pinnacle. Mm, yeah, and so everything we're doing is about getting <laughs> getting to that top level. Sorry, um, getting to that top level, getting to the World Cup, and winning that final. That should be the pinnacle. That's your Everest. And I think there needs to be a lot more work done by the International Rugby League on promoting expansively, extensively, how important that World Cup is. They need to keep talking about the World Cup, not just for the two or three months before the World Cup kicks off, all the fucking time. Yeah. Drive that shit. Talk about it so often. You know, everything has got to be leading to the World Cup. That's what FIFA does. I'm not saying that rugby is on the same level as FIFA. That's fucking nonsense. But the system they've got in place... Make sure that the World Cup is your pinnacle. That's what we're working towards. That's the ultimate goal. That's mm-hmm. the way rugby league needs to be looking at how they promote it, how they talk about it. You know, so everything's about qualifying for the World Cup. That's how it should be. We're not having one-off tests here and there. Everything should be about qualifying for a World Cup or qualifying for the Emerging Nations World Cup. That needs to happen more frequently. And that way you, you know, you, you're getting the game focused on the one big prize, the mm-hmm. one big goal. Make Rugby League World Cup a trending topic around the world so that people will see it. They don't have to engage with it. They see it and just go, oh, when I hear Rugby League, I hear World Cup as well. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that uh, I think that's the next level for International Rugby League where instead of thinking what are our teams for just for the next game, we're thinking, where are we headed with this team heading towards the World Cup? Because um, for so long, you've just been able to turn up. And that is going to change. And it's going to be awesome when it changes. You know, it's going to be awesome when we get to that point where it's like, man, we we really didn't develop a player in this position. And we're weaker than Tonga in this position. Or we're weaker than New Zealand in this position. Um, we're not quite there yet. And Australia showed that in this World Cup. But it would be really cool if we could get there. And I think that the key to that is to, to, as you say, make the World Cup the focus and to, instead of just going year to year and saying, oh, let's play let's play a three-test series against this team or let's play a, a one-off test against this team, we have a calendar where we say this is our next four years and because of this, we know where we are right now. We know where we want to be. We know what's coming up. How are we going to make that journey work? Um, I, I think it would be fantastic if we knew right now, if we could sit down and say what the calendar is for the next four years or whatever. Or it's going to be three years this time, but in an ideal world, it's probably four years. Yeah. Um, and we don't know what's happening next year. No, that's right. So I think... Given it's a short year, I think next year we've, we we know now that we've got the European Nations Cup, whatever mm-hmm. they're going to call it. Mm-hmm. Bam, that's your big event for next year. Hype the shit out of that. Yeah. 
right? But also tied in with the World Cup. So maybe have the winner of that gets automatically advanced through to the World Cup. Something like that. I don't yeah. know. But, you know, tie it in somehow. Get it linked to it. And then the year after, maybe have a Pacific Nations one. Similar thing. Eight teams or whatever we need. Do the same thing. The winner automatically goes through. Well, you should automatically have the winner and the runner-up automatically in there. So, you know, the next best ranked side after that, mm-hmm. they go through. And then you start having a whole heap in the third year. A whole heap of tournaments to try and generate, or not even tournaments, one-off matches, stuff like that. But the whole purpose of it is to find out who's going to fill the World Cup. Yeah. Because all you're talking about is World Cup classification. Exactly. exactly. World, World Cup qualification, that sort of stuff. And then once we've got this one out of the way, we can then set a proper structure in place for the four yearly ones. So you can still have the European one and the Pacific one, but then you've got another two years either side of those where you can have other little tournaments perhaps. Um, and those, if you're going to have little tournaments like that around it for the rest of the teams to compete in, mix them up. Don't have all Southern Hemisphere teams playing one another or all Northern Hemisphere teams playing one another. Half and half it. Mm. It's the only way of making everyone get a little bit better. It's they see different types of football being played. I want to see France playing Papua New Guinea. You know? It's that sort of thing. And the problem is too much of the onus on funding these tours to other countries is entirely on the actual host or the, the visiting nation, the touring nation, sorry. And... The International Rugby League needs to find a way to get itself more cash so it can help fund some of that. And the problem with that is that the International Rugby League has just run a terrible World Cup. Who knows if they made any money out of it? We'll wait and see. You only really find out, like, years down the track. And so I I don't know where they're going to get that money from, you know? This is the other weird thing. We don't even know how much money they have. Well, that's, yeah, that's the weird. That's weird. That is weird. Right. How can we structure anything without even having a vague clue as to how much money the international game has? They got enough money to book hotels for their conferences in weird nations every six months or so. That's true. But, it's, uh, it's just weird that we get to 2022 and we've, like, we've been in a modern media landscape now for a long time. We, the world has been much smaller. It's much easier to communicate. It's much easier to find people that you need to communicate with. And yet we're still, we, we've just had a World Cup where all the officials, believe me, went into the World Cup and they got their free tickets. They all had meetings. They all had their free hotels. And yet we're sitting here and we're like, what's the calendar? How much money was made? Like, we don't know. It's a very, very strange situation. And this is why when people say, like, oh, we need to just turn it all over to the International Rugby League, I'm concerned about doing that because the International Rugby League is so rudderless and yeah. they're not accountable to anyone. No, they, and they need, they're not visible enough. No. They need to be transparent and they need to be visible. They need to be out there and seen. Let's say this is the one thing that Rugby Union has is the IRB are clearly running everything. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to like the sport, but they've understood how things are supposed to be run as an organisation. Yeah. Um, you know, well, structurally anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just It just seems so simple, yet for some reason 
the the International Rugby League just seems to be sitting behind the NRL and the RFL as far as administration goes, and that just seems so wrong. It does. It does. But at the same time, would you would you would you want the International Rugby League being able to dictate how rugby league in Australia is run at all? Um when PVL's in charge, yes. Oh jeez. <laughs> I would I would no, say I think, I think what we need, okay, and this is the one thing that's been a little bit frustrating, and this has been going on for ages, is I don't mind rule changes that improve the game, but I'd like to see them not only being tried, obviously, in trial games and stuff like that, and games of no um, no value, but run by the international body, have actual experienced people involved in the game, players, officials, that sort of stuff there, give their view on whether they think it will work and what they need to tweak and stuff like that before it gets implemented. And when it does get implemented, it's done game-wide. It's not just done in one country here, there, or everywhere. Because then we're all on the same page with the same rules doing the same thing all over the country. I agree. I think there should be basically two sets of rugby league rules, right? I think there should be the, the stock standard rugby league rules, which is rugby league at every level below, say, NRL and Super League level. And then you've got your professional rugby league rules. And I think the professional rugby league rules have a bit more of scope to be augmented on a fast basis. And then if those rules work, they go into the greater rugby league rule set. Um, so you might say, the greater rugby league rule set, one referee, for instance, whereas in professional rugby league rule set, two referees. Yeah. And and those extra tweaks that you need when you're a profession when you're playing the professional side of the sport. And look, if the championship wants to adopt the professional rule set, they can. If the New South Wales and Queensland Cup want to, they can. But we know that there's those separate rules for the different demands that rugby league has. So if, say, the professional game decides that it wants to cut down to four interchanges, for instance, per game, which I'd hate to see, but just say it got to that point, that might not work for amateur rugby league. Amateur yeah. rugby league, it might be better if they have unlimited interchange. Yeah. I, I, that's why I would like to see those two sets of rules in place. But at the same time, with the idea that if we've got something in the professional set of rules that would be better for the overall game of rugby league, like when we went from five metres to ten metres, then it will filter down into the wider game. Yeah, look, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah? I'm not opposed to that. Um, But just, I I don't, it, it feels the times like England and Australia are going a bit rogue to the International Rugby League when it comes to rules. Yep. Like England tried to scrap scrums the last two years. Yeah, that was weird. Real weird. Because oh, we were trying to social distance going, yeah, but you're tackling all the time. It's <laughs> a stupid justification for it. You're literally in the change rooms. You walk out, you're tackling one another in a contact sport, but you won't get in a scrum? Yeah. Yeah. Made zero sense. Mm. Um. 
yeah, I just kind of like to see a little bit more uniformity with the rules because I feel that that would help um, every other country out there who needs to compete with Australia and England at the same level yeah. and New Zealand um, because they're all playing much more similar rules instead of the more um, reserved sort of rules or different sort of rules. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's they never used to stray too far apart, but that just feels like it's it's – the rules in the NRL seem to be a lot more different to the ones in the English Rugby League now more than ever before. And it's um, it's almost a bit frustrating. And then when the international rules come along and they're a little bit different to both, mm-hmm. you know, this is all getting a bit silly now. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't turn on an international and say, what rules are we playing by? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not like you couldn't understand what's going on, but it's more the mm-hmm. fact that you know, can we not just have like the same set of rules for World Cup as we do for NRL and Super League? And can we not have NRL and Super League playing the same game? It would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be good. So I think that's the place where the IRL needs to it doesn't actually need money to do that. It needs to have some teeth. Very yeah, true. So you know what? We're running the game. These are now the rules. You will abide by this. Yeah, and then it makes me wonder, I mean, I don't see what sanctions they could put in place if, say, the NRL said, well, no, we're doing this. What are you going to do about it? The only sanction that they could really say is like, well, you're not allowed to be part of the next World Cup. Well, look, this comes down to the NRL in England, RFL and the NRL, being um, less egotistical and bullish about how they go about things and say, you know what, this is for the betterment of the game. Let's focus on the game globally because it's going to help the game out locally for both of you. And let's try and do something that's productive to help grow the sport because at the moment it's it's not stagnant, but it's not exactly making the game greater everybody, everywhere else. It's sort of treading water, so to speak, in a lot of countries where we're kind of hoping we'd sort of pick up a bit by now. And definitely, definitely. We need we need things to improve at a better rate. I, you know, one of the things that I think has been really clear in this World Cup is that the improvements that have been made have been made because of the development that has happened at club level rather than international level. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, definitely and, true. Yeah, and so that that sort of. Uh, shows that stagnation you've been ta- you've talked about just then, where it'd be really easy to say, well, look at how far Samoa has come and Tonga has come, and, and the thing is, yeah, but it, it hasn't been because of anything that's happened at international level. That's been because of what's happened at cl- in clubland. That's right. And you know that that needs to be instead of writing that off and and saying oh you know you're just biased towards this that or whatever it it needs to be looked at and it it needs to be added to by doing something better at international level so instead of it just being an influx of talent that was developed by clubs we get a, we get cohesive environments at international level and we get regular games and we've got plans in place and we're, you know, drawing in sponsorship and we've got TV deals set up. We've got partnerships that are already in place so that we can go back to those people and say, hey, 
Remember the World Cup that we ran? It was actually really good, and we had close score lines and all that. Well, we're back. Do you want to get involved again? You know? Mm. All of that stuff feels like it's missing. It does. It absolutely does. Um, so, yeah, Intestinal Rugby League, we're here to help. Um, oh, always been here to help, huh? Hey? Yeah, just drop us a line. I mean, mm. hell, you've got my details. <laughs> well, it's yeah, been well, good. I was going to say, we, have, we didn't go through and rank all the teams. Oh, do you want to rank them? Let's rank yeah, them. Yeah, let's, let's do that. That works. Okay, okay, okay. You got the teams there, the team list? Uh, you're just getting it up now. Okay. And uh, apologies if you heard a lot of clicking there. I realised that we didn't have the... Uh, the final details of the 2022 World Cup final on RLP. So I was just putting those in there. Oh, really? What final details? Goal kicking um, um, attempts. How weird was it that Nathan Cleary's goal kicking was off through the whole World Cup? Yeah, it's been, I'll be honest, the last year his goal kicking has dropped a bit. Not oh, just has the it? Cup. Yeah, it has a bit. I haven't noticed it. Watching the Panthers. That's why I'm surprised when you say that. Let me have a look here. Um, so, yeah, he, obviously 2017 was unbelievable. He had 90.2% there. And then it went to 78.43, then 87.8, 78.9, 85.4, 85.3 this year. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's not, a little, little bit all over the place, eh? Hey? Yeah, it's not... It's not horrid. No. But 84, 85 seems to be where he's settled over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he was kicking around that point in the World Cup, though. No, what would you guess? If you uh, had to guess, see. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 68 percent. I was going to say probably around about um, 80, 81. Okay. Still not going to be horrid. Uh, let's see, 27, 36, 39, 44 attempts. Is it 29 from 44? Is that right? Let me just check that. 30, 32 from 44. So that's uh, 70. Fuck it, I'll just use a calculator. That's that's not for the World Cup though That's for all of his games Actually that is the World Cup Yeah that's all his games in the World Cup Okay I mean it's not bad But it's not what you expect out of him Yeah The things were He he was The ones from the sideline You know You don't If you get them they're a bonus But And that's for any great kicker You know but it was the ones that were just off tar- just off centre field. He was missing those, weirdly enough. Yeah, it's... I don't know, it's been weird. Because he, he was always seen as very safe. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, form has just... It's dipped off a bit. Mm. Um, what did you think of his World Cup overall? Because, like, people get into him. Uh, and I I don't really understand why. I, I think maybe it's because his dad is a coach and it's just a, I don't know, there's things there that maybe get people that they can sort of focus on. Um, 
I thought he was pretty damn good in that final. I think he's been pretty damn good for pretty much the entire World Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't fault him. He's, I thought... he's been very solid, very reliable, as, you, as you, we've seen from him at origin level. Yeah. I, I think that um, Munster's form weirdly went off track, and I'm, I'm not sure why. He started the World Cup on fire, but it just it felt like he just got a little bit worse and worse. I kind um, of feel like with Munster, he feels like it's kind of like watching Wally Lewis in the sense that um, Munster knows when to get himself into the game hmm. and pull off the play when he's needed. And like when Wally was playing for Queensland in those origin days, mm-hmm. um, he had to do that a lot more often than... Um, than not. But there would be times when, when Wally would go a little bit quiet. He wouldn't play poorly, but he'd just go a little bit quiet. Yeah. Because he knew he wasn't needed. He didn't overplay his hand, and I think Munster has a bit of that about him. Um, but that aside, there were moments where he looked like he was... He made the wrong decision a few times. Yeah. Which seemed very... Like, the decision he made seemed out of character. Yeah, yeah, that's what I felt too. And yeah. I, part, I put part of that down to just, um, you know, playing alongside a halfback that's, he, I mean, they've played, I think, two and a half, three games together in their entire lives. So I thought maybe it was down to that. And it could because, have been. I think also at club level, he's, his halfback at club level is more of a 5'8 slash fullback than a genuine half, and that's yeah. Jerome Hughes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... Yeah, at origin level, that's the only time um, he's played again, played alongside a genuine half in DCE who can take control of the game and he doesn't have to do all stuff all the time. I think he's one of those guys that seems more comfortable being the do-everything bloke. Yeah, and you don't d- get d- too many of those players. Yeah. Um, d- I think Thurston was one of them. Yep, yep. He, couldn't, he, he did seem to struggle a little bit with being the second fiddle or not being... Asked to do everything all the time, sort of blokes. Yeah, um, D- DC is very good at that, where he can control the entire game, or he can take a big backward step and let somebody else do it, and he like he doesn't play poorly because of that. That's right. You know, um, I I think that Munster and Cleary have the potential to be a perfect combination at international level. From DC, we'll get we'll jump straight into the. Uh the team rankings, and we'll start with DC's Team Australia because, you know, alphabetically it comes first. Yeah, well, look, out of 10, I would rank Australia or rate Australia's performance probably, I don't know, probably a seven. Like, they did the job. I don't think they reached any great heights during the World Cup, but they were still very professional and they did everything you could really could have asked of them. I'm going to give them a 8.5. Oh, wow. And that's because they were in second gear and still so much better than everybody else. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. It's crazy. Um, the best defensive team for the tournament, mm-hmm. comfortably. The best attacking team of the tournament. Um. What more can you ask for? And the best team. Um, 
yeah, I can't see any argument with that, to be honest, because, you know, that was my opinion. <laughs> You're not going to argue with yourself? No, nah, I've made a habit of not doing that. <laughs> um, so next up, we've got uh, Cook Islands. So are we ranking that? Are we rating them against uh, on an overall their, scale, or yeah, I think on the overall performance. Okay, look, I think the Cook Islands. I would say they they were about a six. I think that they they did pretty well in some games, and they were a little bit disappointing in other games. Um, you know, they'd be probably disappointed with their results overall. But, you know, as you said earlier in the podcast, it's such a small nation with a, a a pretty small player group to select from. So it's hard to be too critical of them. That's right. Look, I'm, I'm going to give them a seven for what they achieved. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so we like, I think Wales probably should have beat Cook Islands in that first round game. Mm-hmm. Um, they pushed Papua New Guinea all the way in that second game, as much mm-hmm. as PNG won comfortably. Um, and they were never going to be a chance against Tonga when the Tonga were at full strength, and that yeah. showed at the end there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but two good, two strong performances out of three games, I think that's that's something that they should be happy with. Um, next, we've got England. <clears throat> I'm going to say I would rate England's performance. I'm going to say... I'm saying an eight. You know, I'm I'm going to give them an eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could have. I think they dropped their bundle against Samoa in the final. Do you really? See, I think that <clears throat> that were. And I've talked to, to people on Twitter about this. And when I say talked, I mean I put forward my opinion, and they all were very angry about it. Um, I felt like that was England's peak performance. I feel as though they played the best they could and they were beaten by a better team. Um, and I just think they got the most they possibly could have got out of themselves. I think that that's where, that's the best you can get out of England. I, my, my point comes from, I think their game plan for that match was completely and utterly wrong and didn't play to their strengths or to Samoa's weaknesses. Okay. They played stupid. That was really? a good performance by England, mm. but the game plan was stupid. Okay. The strategy was wrong. Everything about it was. I think they might have been in a false sense of security after they put such a big score on Samara in the first game, thinking we can just walk up here. We're going to be in the final. I reckon there's an aspect of that to it. See, I didn't feel that. Hey, I, I felt like I felt like they. Um... I felt like they honestly gave their all and they did as good as they could. That's the way I feel. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Um, next up, Fiji. Ooh, I would say I would give Fiji uh, probably a 7.5 if I can put a 0.5 in there. Sweet. I think that they did pretty good. Um, I think they were a, a little bit unlucky with the way the draw fell for them at the end of the day. Um, they had some outstanding performers in their side. And I think that the thing that come across for me with Fiji is that they're getting more depth in their team. And I think if they just got more games under their belt, they would improve quite a lot. 
that's that's what I got out yeah, of their World quickly. Cup performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I'm I'm not much different. I'm going to give them a seven. Okay. Um, yeah, very impressed with how they played. I think they did very well. Um, France. <clears throat> I'll give France a four. I, I thought that they were disappointing. Um, I thought they were inconsistent as well. And, yeah, I, di- I didn't think it was a good performance by them at this World Cup at all, considering that um, it's as close to a home World Cup as they're going to get without it being in France. I think they should have performed much better. Yeah, I expected them to be Greece, um, but the performance against Greece was... Uh, it wasn't their best. They didn't play badly, but they didn't, you know... It's not like Greece are out there being, you know, at the same level as a lot of these nations. It's their first World Cup. There's not a great deal of talent from around the NRL and Super League in their side. Mm-hmm. For France, they only beat them by 20. I know that seems crazy, but you look at the rest of the scorelines in this World Cup. It seems like they were closer to Greece's quality of play than they were where France should be at this stage. And domestically, with Catalans and Toulouse being in the... Super League this year, I'd have thought that the quality of the players they had there would have been better and there would have been a bigger challenge to England and Samoa. And they weren't. They got flogged by Samoa. Mm. Um, they, they've generally gone backwards and I, I, was, I had hoped that they were going to improve. So I'm going to give them a three. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think when I look back at there was a game they played, I think it was last year, against England, um, and their first half performance was absolutely diabolical. But in the second half, they come back into the game and they looked pretty good. And I hope that that second half would be more indicative of who the true French team was. And it's just unfortunately it wasn't. Mm. Uh, next up, Greece. Uh, this is a difficult one. Look... That we all know where they've come from. The game was illegal at most points this year in Greece. And so they did very well considering that. Having said that, it's hard to rate them higher than a three. Yeah, I'm about the same. Um, a good first up performance against France, um, but completely outclassed by Samara in England. I mean, they considered yeah. 166 points in those two games. Yeah, uh, like as good as good as a story as it was, <clears throat> they're probably not a World Cup team. They're more of an emerging nations tournament team, or even somewhere between the two. Yeah. We've got a lot of teams that are somewhere between the two at the moment, so maybe we needed somewhere between the two World Cup. Let's call it that. <laughs> somewhere between the two World Cup. <laughs> I don't work with that one. <laughs> um. Ireland. Uh, they had little moments here and there. Uh, but for the most part, it was pretty forgettable, to be quite honest with you. Um, the biggest waves they made was when one of their players got into a fight with Victor Radley um, <laughs> after England was knocked out of the World Cup. So I'm going to say a four. Yeah, look, I'm going 3.5. I rate them very similar to France. Mm-hmm. Um, their only win was against Jamaica. 
Um, beaten by Lebanon. And, I mean, New Zealand comfortably rolled through them. Yeah. And New Zealand's goal kicking was atrocious. They missed six goals. That could have been 60 to 10 that game. It was 48 to 10. So, scoreline. And New Zealand also went 10 minutes with, with an extra player off the field. Um, you know, <laughs> Ireland were underachievers there. Uh, yeah, there's not much we can do about that. Other than get better. Italy. Yeah. Italy. Um, they had that impressive win over Scotland. Um, you know, yeah. They do feel as though they're getting better and, and like true better, not just like we've got a bunch of Aussies here. I feel yeah. like that Italian rugby league is actually moving forward, but I would still say about a three. I'm going to give him a four. Okay. Um, Jake Mason had a pretty good tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, scored, a, scored nearly all of their tries. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I don't know. Yeah, their, their win over Scotland was – it wasn't even just a, a close win. I mean, they comfortably won that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always going to be outclassed against Fiji and Australia, though. But still, they performed better than Scotland did against Australia. True, true. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a four. Um, next up, we've got Jamaica. I have to give them a one. I have to give them a one. Um, it's cool they're involved in the World Cup. It's great what is happening on the ground in Jamaica itself. But they were not good. They 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 were not good at this World Cup, and um, you know it, it, it is cool that they weren't a European team, but yes. they weren't they weren't very good. Yeah, I'll give them two. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the worst team in this tournament, though. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue it's, that against that. Yeah, they were gifted of a reasonably kind group. Mm-hmm. Sure, they had New Zealand in there and Lebanon um, and Ireland, but, um, yeah, given what some of the other groups look like, they only had one Pacific Island nation to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and they got absolutely rolled by Ireland. Yeah, I, look, and I will say this. I am more than happy to see them at their first World Cup putting in those performances that's fine. And it's really their first big exposure to international rugby league too. Like yeah. I know they play qualifiers and things like that, but, you know, now they're on what is supposed to be the biggest stage. Um, I, You know, and, and putting in those performances, that's a learning experience. And for a team from a different part of the world, I'm fine with that. Yeah. No, you can't come into a World Cup and expect to just win any games. You know, it's, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a curve to go on. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Lebanon? Ooh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say five. I think that, you know, they had once again had their moments. There was a few times in games where their NRL players just got together and put on some NRL stuff, which was outstanding to watch. Um, but they, 
and like when you consider where the nation of Lebanon is at at the moment and the te- like the absolutely terrible things that they've been dealing with um you know so the development of the game there is obviously going to take a back seat to just survival for a lot of people yeah um i think they did pretty well when you consider all of that stuff and they had some some moments in the world cup so yeah I, i'd say 5 <coughs> excuse me um i think i'm going to give them 6 and a half okay um i didn't expect them to beat new zealand they didn't do too badly against them and they performed as i expected against ireland and probably a little bit better than I thought they would against Jamaica. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I, I think that they are starting to build a good group of players there, and they are making progress. So they are getting better. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give them a bit of a high mark. Okay. Um, who we got next? New Zealand. I am going to give New Zealand a six. I think they were below par for the entire World Cup. I thought that they would heat up as the World Cup went on. Um, I know they pushed Australia in that semi-final, but I thought both sides were a bit so-so in that game. Um, you know, the, Jerome Hughes was a little bit injured on and off in this World Cup, which didn't help them. But I just think they had too many players that were um, inconsistent to coasting, and it cost them in the end. And like, this World Cup was there for New Zealand to win. And they just didn't go to that next level at any stage. So, yeah, six. I, I was very disappointed in them. I thought they should have done a lot better. Yeah, I I kind of thought New Zealand would be um, pushing to get into the final. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think I think I'm going to give them a six as well. I wasn't... Hugely impressed, nor disappointed with them. Just kind of, yeah. Yeah, and look, I think that, their best performances were, were in the the game that they lost against Australia. That was probably the best they played because that was the game where, as far as I was concerned, it looked like they actually were the better team in that game. But they didn't deserve to win that game based on their performances prior. Yeah, I just I I felt like this New Zealand team was absolutely stacked, and man, I, I was just so disappointed. I was really disappointed in them. Yeah, uh, Papua New Guinea. Look, I, I think PNG. I would probably give a six as well. I think that um, they probably should have performed better against uh, England in the. First quarter in the first quarterfinal that they played, um, and yeah, I think that the fact that they got absolutely flogged by them, yeah. they'll be so disappointed by that, and they they really should do better than that. They really should. Yeah, um, I mean they. I, I'm going to give them a seven, but only because their group matches were pretty good. Like they very nearly got Tonga. Mm-hmm. I'd almost go to the case of saying they probably deserve to win that game. A few questionable calls in that match, which went against them. Yeah. Um, they weren't convincing against the Cook Islands, but still won that game comfortably enough. And they basically had a training run against Wales. 
but didn't concede any points there. Um, but that performance against England was one of the most disappointing results of the tournament for me. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Okay, moving on next to Samoa. Oh, man, how do you rate them? I mean, they start the World Cup off with the worst performance maybe I've ever seen at international level and then make the final. Um, They, you know, if you take their first performance out of it, you would probably say like an 8.5 to 9, but you've got to put that first performance in there. So it's like, I guess you've got to say 8, don't you? They made the World Cup final. Yeah, I'd, I'd give them a 10, not including the first okay. game, but including the first game, i bring it back to an 8. Okay. Um, okay. And, I mean, <laughs> it is worth noting, too, they did have quite a bunch of injuries in that first game, which impacted the scoreline quite significantly, which is also a reason as to why they deserve such a high score that they because they went on for the rest of the tournament playing so goddamn well with a reduced squad. Um. So yeah, impressive how they fought back. That 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 fight back was impressive. Um, can't be denied. Yeah, that, like there's very few World Cups we've probably seen where a team has just improved that far. Hey, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I was. I remember saying at the start that I thought that they would do reasonably well. I didn't think they'd be better than Tonga. But I mm-hmm. thought they'd do a little bit better than some people thought. I reckon some people were of the view they might be around the PNG level. And yeah. I had a feeling they were going to be a little bit better than that. I didn't expect them to go as far as they did. Yeah, I, I think that one of the – I think I think Jerome Lawai's play was just that oh. X factor there that, like – He went we, to another level. He really did. I think that he's going to – uh, he that will have improved him as a player overall for the rest of his career. That's absolutely that like just the way that he took over. Um, he was sensational. That and Crichton stood up as a um, reliable player in clutch moments. It's not that he wasn't before, but he did it more often than not. It was simple things. It could have been making a tackle or you know going for a run or kicking a bloody field goal. You know. Just little things that he can do and be successful at it in clutch moments. Um, really important stuff too. And he, hopefully he he and um, Luai remain the backbone of that side for many years to come. It, you know what was really interesting was at like watching in the World Cup it, when we got to the, the pointy end of the competition and seeing how many of the the Penrith players stood up Mm. which I I was a little bit surprised by, and I don't know why, because I shouldn't have been. But, like, you look at that final, and Crichton played great, and Lawai's playing great, and Toto's doing what Toto does, and Nathan Cleary's playing really good, and Yo's playing well, and um, I, I don't know why it surprised me that they they really were standing up to be counted when when it was time to, because... Probably because uh, they're out of that system that they're comfortable in at Penrith. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, and a lot of the Penrith system, and we've talked about this, is the fact that their forwards destroy your soul and then everyone works off the back of that. And to see them all doing that out of that, like 
alphawoods have destroyed your soul sort of environment it was it was really interesting to see it was yeah um scotland uh one they they did nothing um i've got to give them 2.1 oh why is that well because i said before that jamaica was the worst team here and i gave them two okay (laughs) (laughs) um scotland should have been far more competitive they should have been they should have been close to beating italy that those two teams should have been Scotland should should be seeing that Italy as a team they can beat. Yes. And they got done comfortably by them. Yeah. Australia really went on a training run against them. Mm-hmm. And Fiji not much different. Scotland actually turned up a bit better defensively for that last game, but I mean what was the point? Yeah, they you've, just you've let the game go that you should have won against Italy. You've just been dicked by Australia. How much chance do you give yourself if you're Scotland against Fiji? You're just not. Especially when Fiji put 60 on the team that beat Scotland, mm-hmm. you know, the week before. You're no chance. So, um, just, yeah, they're basically pointless. Yeah, and and I think one of the very good examples of why Europe needs less qualifiers going forward. Yeah, and it's, I don't know. Over a thousand games of experience at all levels in that that Scottish side didn't seem to account for much. Mm-hmm. Um, Tonga, I'm going to give Tonga. I'm going to give them a five. Hey, mm. I think that they looked unfit. I I think that they they looked like a team that thought they were just going to turn up and it was going to happen. Um, they had one good performance where they looked outstanding. But every other performance I thought was pretty disappointing by them. Um, you said that you felt as though they would be uh, a bit better than Samoa. So did I. I thought they'd make the final. Yeah, and, likewise. And yeah, they just when it come down to it, they weren't they weren't there. And so yeah, five really disappointing. Yeah, I'm not much different. I was, was going to give them a six just because they had that impressive effort. Um, racking up ninety odd points, and they made they did make the finals, um, and they did it with Tom Lolo missing the first what two or three games. Mm-hmm. Um, but given how much they'd improved in the few years beforehand, they should have done better than this. Um, also, one shining light, Sonny Luke. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it was good to see him do well. You know what's great about doing it this way mm-hmm. is we get to do Wales last. <laughs> Where they belong. <laughs> so we up to Wales already. Wales, the last team. Guess what I'm going to rate them, Andrew? Nine? No, no. A little bit lower than that. I'm going to give them one as well. you give them one as well? Wasted time. Um. Given all of the time that they've been playing, how long they've been at it, um, even in recent times, the amount of first-grade experience that that side's got, I thought they would have been able to beat Cook Islands. That should have been an achievable victory for them. I thought they would have been competitive with PNG. Maybe not beating them, 
but pushing them. One of those scorelines, like 26-16 or something like that. Mm-hmm. No. They got done by both. Um, they were just... They were a non-event. So I'm giving them 2.1. Okay. And, and once again, with Wales... And it's funny. I, I, it wasn't about Greece. It, it wasn't about some teams that were... Not very good in this World Cup. It, it was Scotland and Wales were the ones that stood out to me that were like, man, these teams shouldn't be here. We need, if we're going to get teams that are flogged, let it be the Jamaicas, you know? Let it be a yeah, Philippines. The teams that are, let it teams be, that are there for the first time that haven't yeah. played at this level before. Yeah. Wales has got no excuse. None. Scotland's got no excuse. They've been to the last few World Cups, every the, one of them. They've been in four nations competitions. Yeah. There's no reason for them to be performing at this level. They, they're not even like, you can't even say they're like England where they've been stagnating for decades. They're going backwards yeah. and they're going backwards faster now than they have at any time in the, in the past. I think in the past they were stagnant. They had a few moments where they looked like they were getting a little bit better, a few moments where they went down a little bit. But the last four years... Um, maybe even five or six years, they have gone backwards fast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they fix it, but uh, it's 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 bad. They've got to do something fast. They've got to start playing a lot more international games um, and a lot more regularly. That's the only way out of it at the moment. Play a lot more games. And and when I think about, like, all of the people that have said, oh, Wales, Wales is the next big thing, you know? And then you think about, well, like, they tried to put a Super League team there. That didn't work. And then, you know, all the chances they've had at international level, that didn't work. And it's like, well, if they tap into all of the great Welsh athletes, and it's like, name one, it, it, it's just, I don't know. I don't know why people are so up on Wales because... I just don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, so that that's pretty much it. Um, there might have been a theme in there. What was the yeah. theme? I know European teams are shit. <laughs> well, they were. Something along those lines. They, they really were. were. Um, the only good one was England. <laughs> yeah. The rest of them were crap. And they they all need to get better very fast. So hopefully this European tournament they've got um, next year is the the catalyst to get them all playing more international footy and making them play better football because a lot too many of them have gone backwards since the last World Cup. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if if Greece and Jamaica keep improving at the rate they have to get to this World Cup, they might go they might be matching them by the next one. And that's that's crazy to to consider, considering mm. that the game in Greece has only been legal for a month. <laughs> Let I, that fucking sink in. Yeah, it, that's crazy when you think of it that way. I guess it's not out of the question. Like you give just the the local Jamaican competition three more years, mm. they really should beat Wales if you go by with the trajectory Wales is on. Yeah. Look, Wales got to got up to mediocre and just stayed there. Mm. And to, it, it's they shouldn't be. 
they've been they've been in the game long enough. They've got enough resources to be able to be much better than that. Um, and they've had great players come from the region in you know many 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 years ago, mm-hmm. which they should have been working off the back of to try and promote the game there and get more of them come through. They've never capitalised on it. They're just going well. Rugby union's better, so we'll just keep it that way and just just admit defeat. And no. Fucking the, fight for it, bastards. It could be better. The thing is, though, the rugby union team isn't... It's not like, uh, you know, people act like their rugby union team is just full of all of these great players, and that's why, like, you just can't compete with that, and the, the rugby union team isn't much job. No, look, it's, it's not, but it's far more competitive on the international scene than the rugby league side is. Yeah, that's true. And but that's... It, that's but, but that's the thing, Wales have got no excuse as to why they shouldn't be just as competitive on the rugby league scene as they are on the rugby union one. There's no reason. There's no ex- there's no excuse. Yeah. I, I just don't get it. I've never I've never got Wales. I've never got it. No. They gave us Tom Jones, thanks. <laughs> What's new pussycat? <laughs> um, you could right, say well, that uh, when Wales fails, it's not unusual. <laughs> Uh, I feel there'll be too many dad jokes starting to turn up here. No, oh, sorry. We'll turn this off. I'm um, a fan of Catherine Zeta-Jones as well. Aren't we all? Remember her in Entrapment? How can you not? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Got some love for Wales then. Really did. Many yeah. times. <laughs> <laughs> On that that, that was Scotland and Wales working together because... Uh, Sean Connery was in that movie. Why don't they get those two together to start promoting rugby league? I know. Okay, here's one. What would you rate Sean Connery in Entrapment? Ooh, I'd, give him, I'd give him an eight. Yeah, I'd give him an eight too. Um, couple of couple of things. Yeah. The idea that Catherine Zeta-Jones was kind of into him at that advanced age. And the idea that... Uh, you know, he's a retirement age guy and he's he's doing this big heist, I don't know. It's, it's a bit far-fetched, you know. But still, eight, it's Sean Connery. Exactly. Okay, now what do you rate Catherine Zeta-Jones? Twelve. Oh, that's sexist, Andrew. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. How dare you? <laughs> I got you so good. <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh. I was happy to walk down that path. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. I knew what I was walking into. <laughs> Straight on in. Right this way, sir. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's so good. Am I wrong? No, no, not no. at all. Not that's at all. That's right. On that bombshell. <laughs> We'll we'll wrap this one up. Thanks for tuning, everybody. Check us out on the social on Instagram and Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Check us out on all of those, and we'll catch us all next time. <laughs>